Welcome back and thank you for tuning in to the Pops Podcast. In this episode, entitled Just a Touch, we're going to dive into some touchy subjects in Matthew 9. Here's Kishore. All right, brothers, I'm going to kick us off this week with a spirit of repentance. Repentance, because I have heard from the Lord that many of you are lifting up complaints against your brother here. Why? Because I skipped verses at Pops, right? And you know that there is a Pops governing council in heaven and they heard your cries and they said you must go back and do verses 20 to 22. There is no way there is not Pops in heaven and hence there must be a Pops governing committee and I heard from them. So we are going to go back in time today and we're going to look at verses 20 to 22. But before we get there, let's set this up with Matthew 9, 18 to 19. And it says, while he was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him, saying, my daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. You see, what we learned is that we saw that while Jesus was responding to the challenge from the disciples of John the Baptist, right? I mean, think about this. While he's dealing with that, the John, the Baptist, uh, John the Baptist disciples and the Pharisees are coming at him with these tough theological questions. And meanwhile, Jairus comes up to him and says, hey, I got this daughter who's, who's sick. And all this is going on at the same time. Is anyone else in here reassured that our God can handle more than one request at a time? Amen. Right? That if one of us is lifting a prayer before the Lord and another one of us starts lifting the same prayer at the same time, a different time, a different place, it doesn't hinder God's ability to respond perfectly to both and not with like partial attention to one and more attention to the other. You know, like what is it about, you know, the uh, football Sunday, right? I'm watching a game and always somebody needs something during the game. Now, usually that's good for me as a Bears fan to shut the thing off because I get angry anyway. But for others of you, like that's a bit of interruption. I have to pay attention to this, but yet these people need me to do other things. But praise God that he can hear all prayers and respond to each one fully, perfectly, and equally. And I just want to try that, experience that reality now. Okay, we're going to do a little group participation. I want everybody, and if it helps you, like it helps me to close your eyes, and close your eyes. And I want you to think of something in your mind right now that comes up, someone or something that needs healing. Right? Someone or something in your life, I know what comes to my mind, someone or something in your life that needs a healing. Maybe it's you, maybe it's a loved one in your family, maybe it's a situation in your life. And then I want you in your mind, or out loud if you're comfortable, but just to say, Lord, I bring, and then whatever that situation is, Lord, I bring this person, this situation, I bring this to you right now, trusting in you to answer according to your will. Amen. Amen. Now, brothers, here's what just happened. 30, 40 prayers, I don't know how many guys are here today, that went up at the same time to our Lord, who heard each and every one of those prayers from Knob Hill Community Park, direct line to heaven. He heard every single one of those prayers, and he was not overwhelmed. In fact, the Word tells us that he was pleased to receive every single one of those prayers, that he heard them. Each and every one of those prayers. Praise God. And this is what we're going to focus on today because Jesus was getting quite a bit of people asking him to do things here in this portion of Scripture, right? So while Jesus is responding to John's disciples, the synagogue ruler, like this church deacon, Jairus, comes up to him with a request. And he puts, when we put all these gospel accounts together like we did last time, we saw that Jairus' 12-year-old daughter 
was sick, right? But she didn't just have like a cold or a, or a bellyache. She was sick and she was about to die. And we don't know exactly what it is that she had. You know, we don't know. Maybe she had some sort of head injury. She fell off the, the swing set. You know, maybe they had swing sets back then. I don't know. But he, she fell off. She hit her head. She's bleeding out. Maybe she has pneumonia or meningitis. And, you know, they don't have antibiotics back then. And so she's on her way to dying. Maybe she had leukemia. And they don't have chemotherapy, obviously, or anything like that back then. Whatever it was that this girl was dying from, there was no available treatment that was going to help her except for one. There was a healer. And who was the only one who could be her rescue? And this is exactly what Jairus knew. He knew there was only one place where I was going to get healing, and that place, that place was in and with Jesus. Now you know, most of you know, that I'm, that I'm a doctor. I work in a hospital setting. I'm not opposed to ERs or antibiotics or chemotherapy or any of those types of things, but I know that there is only one healer, and it's not me. And it's not any other medical provider who's taking care of anybody. No matter what it is, what the ailments are that you or your loved ones have, it's not the doctor or the treatments, but it's the Lord Almighty who is bringing the healing. Amen. And will the Lord use doctors? Yes. And will the Lord use the medications? Yes. Of course. But let us never be like these nine lepers who were healed by Jesus in Luke 17 and they go away healed but never return to thank their healer. This story haunts me. Every time something beautiful happens in my life and I think, oh, it was something else. This story reminds me that it was always God. Look at Luke 17, verses 11 through 19. It says, On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. And now he was a Samaritan. And then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. And I want us, this challenged me this week, and I want to challenge all of us as, as Pops men, let us be like this one leper who returns. To fall on our faces before the Lord our God and praise our healer so that all can hear. Amen? I think, Lord, I thank you that you have rescued me from my unbelief. That you've rescued me from my bitterness towards you. That you have healed me from depression. That you have healed me from anger. That you have rescued me from addiction. You know, I could go on and on and on forever for the things that the Lord has done for me. And I hope you can too. But I want us always, always, always to end with this. That Lord, I thank you for what you are going to do and what you are doing to make me more like you each day. In the mighty and powerful name of Jesus, amen. This is our God. Our God is not a God of 2,000 years ago in a story of a woman who is bleeding. He is that God, but He's also the God of today. And He's here for us. So let's go back here to Matthew 9. Our God, with His infinite, infinite ability to multitask, He's on His way with Jairus and the disciples and a large crowd. They're on their way to Jairus' home because Jairus' daughter has an appointment with the healer on that day. But on their way, this woman stops them in their tracks. So let's look at this. Matthew 9, 
verse 20, the first part, it says, And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him. The same story in Mark, Mark 5. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse. Or Luke 8.43, And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. So all three of these synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they put this woman's story in the same location of, of, of what's going on in, the, in this scene, right? Sometimes the Gospel writers, they'll put their accounts based on themes, right? So we've already seen this theme already so far in Matthew, Matthew 8, and nine are all a bunch of grouped healings, right? We see the, the leper being healed, the centurion's son, Peter's mother-in-law, the demon-possessed people, the paralyzed man, Jairus' daughter, the woman with the bleeding, the blind men we'll talk about next time, the mute man. All of these healings are grouped into two chapters in Matthew. But we know that this particular story of the woman who is bleeding must have happened in this exact same location because it falls into the same spot in every single one of these gospel accounts. And it's an interruption because Jesus was supposed to be going somewhere else, right? It's exactly what I think Jairus must have been feeling. This is an interruption, right? Because most of you who have been at Pops for, for, for long enough, you know that I have a daughter who was diagnosed with a chronic medical condition when she was eight years old. And it's called myasthenia gravis, and it's an autoimmune disease, and it attacks the junction between the nerves and the muscles, and it can bring weakness and fatigue to her body. And for anyone of you who have ever met my daughter, you know and you would agree that she is the most sweet child who loves God with all her heart, and she should never have this disease. And now she's almost 18 years old, so it's been 10 years that she's had this. And in the physical sense, she has not had a complete healing. But we know that it's coming, and that's a story that I've shared before, but I can share with you again another time. But you can imagine how many times that I have brought her situation before the Lord over the past decade. Right? You can imagine 10 years worth of pleading to the Lord for Him to remove this from her, knowing that He can do it, and that He wants to do it, but quite honestly, not agreeing with Him that He hasn't done it already. So let me just reassure you with this, that it's okay not always to agree with the Lord's timing. It's okay. He's not intimidated. In fact, the Bible is full of people who don't agree with His timing. How do I know that it's okay? You look at the Psalms, right? Every single one, almost, so many of these Psalms, you read through them and you see the very real, very like raw laments that David, King, gave, King David brings and other Psalms bring before God, right? They're always like, God, you're doing it wrong. The enemies, my enemies are winning, and I, you should be doing it this way. But every psalm, with rare exception, ends with praise, knowing that God will come through. So it's hard for me, when I read this portion of Scripture, without putting myself in Jairus' position. And I'm sure I'm not alone in this place tonight, right? Many of you have probably had similar prayer requests that have gone up to the Lord, and yet the Lord has not yet answered them. And let's be honest, sometimes it's hard to hear about how God keeps coming through for other people, right? But He hasn't yet come through for you. Some of you may have heard me earlier, praise God, for the Lord has healed me from so many things like depression, for example. But I know in this room there are many men who have been struggling with depression and we've been praying 
for that. And maybe you've internally wondered why this healing that the Lord bestowed upon me in that area, why has he not done that yet for you? Why do you feel, still find yourself in periods of darkness or sadness or loneliness? And why does anxiety continue to fill you with fear for the future? Why did God come through for this guy up here but not for me? And just like I ask, why are other people and their children being healing and having miraculous healing moments, but it hasn't yet happened for my daughter? These are all natural questions to have, and it's okay to have those questions, and it's okay to voice your concerns to the Lord. Because remember, Jairus in this moment, he's brought his request before the Lord, and the Lord Jesus is moving towards his daughter. Right? His daughter just desperately needs the Lord's touch. And it looks like he may even get there before she dies. It looks like her struggle is about to be removed in the mighty name of Jesus. But then this haggard woman shows up. This unclean woman shows up and stops the crowd and stops the disciples and seems to stop Jesus. Right? Matthew tells us right, right from the start, Jairus' daughter is already dead. Mark and Luke tell us that on the way to him, on the way to her, uh, uh, she dies on the way as Jesus is going there. So you must ask yourself, what is Jairus feeling in this moment? That he had the, the Lord, the healer on the way, and then she dies because this woman stops Jesus, he must be thinking. He must be mad, right? Certainly at the crowd, certainly at this woman, but also I'm sure at Jesus. Why, why, why is this? It's not fair. I got to him first. These are real people in these Bible accounts, right? Real people with real emotions. I have to think that Jairus would have been pretty ticked off. And so now we proceed now to look at this woman. But as we do, just keep in your mind, off stage left, here's Jairus, probably anxiously fidgeting, frantic, fuming about this situation that he's watching this woman get healed. And yet here he is off in the corner. And sometimes I know we, many of us will feel like we're that person off in the counter. Jesus is doing all this work and we're off in the corner while he's doing it. And so I want to make sure that you are remembering that sometimes when we're off in the corner, Jesus hasn't forgotten our prayer request. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, so as we've seen many times in the Gospel of Matthew, he gives us a clue, a word, a one-word clue that he does not want us to lose sight of this woman. He wants us to behold. He do. Behold her. To stop. Stop trying to rush through the, the, the Bible verse and stop and look at this woman and imagine her predicament, which is what we're going to do tonight. Because think about this. For the same amount of time that Jairus' daughter has even been alive, this woman has been struggling with bleeding. And it's probably a menstrual bleeding, we think, probably from some sort of bleeding disorder, maybe. Maybe she's had a, a pregnancy that went wrong. Maybe she had an ectopic pregnancy where the, where the baby was implanted in the wrong place. Or maybe she had a sexually transmitted infection or whatever it was. She was having ongoing bleeding for 12 straight years, hemorrhaging of blood. So tonight, brothers, I'm going to take you to medical school. Okay? We're going to go to medical school. Do any of you guys... When you were little, I don't know how it works here in Western PA, but where I grew up in uh, Illinois, in the suburbs of Chicago, there was sex ed that would happen in school. Okay? Now, in this sex ed class, we would go to this place called the Robert Crown Center. It was in the western suburbs of Chicago. If you ever meet somebody from the western suburbs of Chicago and you say the Robert Crown Center, they'll start to blush. Because everybody gets really anxious about Robert Crown Day because that's where you learn about bodies and sexuality and all this stuff. Well, here's the problem for this guy. I'm going to be honest with you. I never went to Robert Crown. 
And it wasn't because my parents were trying to protect me from it or whatever, but we moved, right? So we moved from one suburb where all of the boys went to Robert Crown in the sixth grade. We moved to a suburb when I went to the sixth grade where everyone had already gone in the fifth grade. So I never got to go to Robert Crown. And I remember I went to my dad and I was like, Dad, this is a big problem. All the other boys are going to Robert Crown and they're learning about the birds and the bees. Like, you guys never talked to me about it. And my dad, in his sage wisdom, said, Son, one day you'll figure it out. <laughs> now, I got four kids, right? So someday I figured it out. Okay, but <laughs> just in case any of you are in the same boat as me and you missed sex ed, let me explain some things to you, okay? Every month, midway through their monthly cycle, a woman's ovaries release an egg. Okay, and for those of you who did go to sex ed, you remember the little cow structure, right? It kind of like, you, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? They got the hands over here, and there's the ovaries over there, and then fallopian tube and uterus is the, is the head of the cow. You guys were thinking it too. All right, here's the deal. So the, the, this egg comes out of the ears of the cow, travels up and into the face part of the cow called the uterus. And for about two weeks each month, that the wife is having, that your wife or your girlfriend or your daughters or whatever are having their cycles, each month their body is preparing as if a baby is coming for two weeks. The, the egg comes out and the body's like, hey, this could be the month, and it's getting ready, it's getting prepared. Their hormones rev up. That uterine lining gets thicker and thicker with blood flow because there might be a baby coming that needs blood and needs nutrients. And so most months, you, I can assure you, babies don't come, right, every month. And so if the body senses that the baby didn't come, all of a sudden all those hormones that they were revving up, shut off, right? So brothers, my wife and one of my daughters at least listened to this podcast, so i got to be really, really careful. But let's say this. <laughs> this. This monthly, like this hormonal reduction that happens, right, it might influence... Uh, the way that the women in your life I interpret the world. Uh, let's just leave it at that. For a few days. Just for a few days, okay? No. Yes, yes. And it may even seem like it's opposite day in how they demonstrate their undying love for you. Right? It's a little bit different over those few days. And maybe you might start to wonder that maybe your wife's willingness to try the whole death part of death do you part, right? Um, she might be willing to do that uh, for you. Um, but... After the body realizes no baby's coming, hormones drop, and all that extra blood flow and tissue and all that stuff has to slough off over the course of five to seven days. Okay, so now anyone else who missed their Robert Crown week like I did, you can consider yourself educated. You no longer have an excuse to not understand what your wives or your girlfriends need during those certain times of uh, months. And... Um, so, but what about before Robert Crown even existed? What about in the Old Testament times, right? Before there was anything known about hormones or cows or anything like that. Well, Moses, he dedicated an entire chapter, Leviticus 15, to this. So let's look at Leviticus 15, 19 to 24. It says, when a woman has a discharge and the discharge in her body is blood, she shall be in her menstrual impurity for seven days and whoever touches her shall be unclean until the evening. And everything on which she lies during her menstrual impurity shall be unclean. Everything also on which she sits 
shall be unclean. And whoever touches her bed shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. And whoever touches anything on which she sits shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. Whether it is the bed or anything on which she sits, when he touches it, it shall be unclean until the evening. And if any man lies with her and her menstrual impurity comes upon him, he shall be unclean seven days on every bed on which he lies shall be unclean. Wow. What happens in the evening? That's a great question. I don't know. <laughs> so there was a book right, or a TV series that was called The Red Tent. Anyone heard about that when it was a while ago? It was a show that was talking about, and it's unbiblical in that it wasn't actually true, but it was talking about how um, in the Old Testament times when a woman would have her period, they would have to go live outside their home inside of a red tent when they were having their cycles. But the, the purpose of that movie, I think, the point of it was to show how seriously this idea of unclean was during the cycle, the menstrual cycle, and anyone who might come into contact with anything that a woman might touch during that time. Now, I know that there are people I've met in my life and who have said in, in, with conviction, right, the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it for me, to which I really have to respond, have you read Leviticus? <laughs> because here's a little piece of relationship advice. Don't send your wife or girlfriend out to the backyard to live for five to seven days each month. We want to see pops continue to grow, right? If you guys start doing that, we're going to start losing Pops men, amen? So we got to be careful about what we do. But back in the Old Testament times, right, the point of this is that clean and unclean was a really serious distinction. And it's not just Leviticus 15 where it talks about female and actually male discharges too, but that's another topic altogether. Um, but but it, it starts actually in Leviticus 11. If you read there, there's going to be clean and unclean animals and insects, and there's going to be some thoughts about how to cleanse after childbirth. And then there's two full chapters on cleansing yourself from leprosy. And we looked at those earlier when we looked at Matthew 8 in the story of the leper, just to say like God and God's people were focused, hyper-focused on clean and unclean. So let's go back to this woman now who has interrupted Jesus' path to Jairus' daughter and discover that she's not just been unclean for five to seven days on this particular month, she's been bleeding for 12 years. So for 12 years, right, in the Old Testament view, she has been deemed unclean, right? So she would not likely be married because of this reason. And an unmarried woman during that time, they had very little options in terms of how to uh, support themselves, right? Prostitution would have been a very common option, but that would not be an option for this woman because of her bleeding and the sexual impurity laws. And so we're not told how she was able to survive all these years. But then Leviticus goes further in that chapter 15 to tell us that there's a special higher level of unclean uncleanliness that she would have been found to have because of how long she has been bleeding. Leviticus 15, 25 to 27 says, If a woman has a discharge of blood for many days, not at the time of her menstrual impurity, or if she has a discharge beyond the time of her impurity, all the days of the discharge she shall continue in uncleanliness. And, and as in the days of her impurity she shall be unclean. Every bed on which she lies, all the days of her discharge shall be to her as the bed of her impurity. And everything on which she sits shall be unclean as in the uncleanness of her menstrual impurity. And whoever touches these things shall be unclean and shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. So manly men, like when I think about the amount of bleeding this woman, manly men like me, we have no problem going shopping in the female care 
aisle of the store. Any, anybody have any, anyone in here also? No problem. I got no problem in there anymore. In fact, I don't even mess around with three teenage daughters and my wife. I'm, listen, I'm going to the Costco and I'm buying mega size and it might be the only thing I'm buying that day and I'm not even bringing the big Costco cart to hide it in. I'm bringing the big old box, maybe two or three, up to the counter. I got no problem anymore. But this woman in this story, she wouldn't have access to the super absorbent, overnight, ultra thick pads, right? She wouldn't have the boxes that say with wings, like what the heck do they need to fly for? I still don't have an answer for, but these things apparently need wings now, okay? In those days, all they would have had would have been rags to, to, to hold their menstrual flow, right? And that's where the term on the rag, don't use that term, men, another piece of <laughs> relational advice, but that is where the term comes from. Because before there were female products, there were rags, and that's what they would call it. And so literally, there would be no way for this woman to hide her uncleanness. Because she's in a, in, a, in a crowd full of Jewish believers who know that menstrual flow, particularly prolonged menstrual flow, means that you are unclean and there would be no way for her to hide that. And it's not just like the uncleanness that would have been the big issue for this woman, right? I'm a pediatrician, I work at the hospital and we'll get sometimes some young ladies who get admitted because of uh, uh, heavy menstrual flow. Maybe they've had a, a bleeding disorder themselves and they've maybe never had any surgery or, or injury to know that they had a bleeding disorder until they start their monthly cycles. And so the manifestation of a bleeding disorder will be with, with one of their first menstrual cycles. And often, these, these young girls will try to hide this from their parents because they're embarrassed by it. They try to hide it from their parents and they may even bleed for weeks on weeks, sometimes even months, before anyone even notices. But eventually, they get so anemic that people start to notice that they're becoming pale and tired. And their bodies start to try to compensate by the heart rate going up into the 120s and 130s uh, in order to kind of pick up their blood flow. And their blood pressures may even start to drop and they start to get faint and pass out. And so eventually someone says, something's not right, and they bring them in to the hospital. Now normally your blood count, your hemoglobin count will be, you know, somewhere between 15 and 18 if you're a man, between 14 and 16 if you're a woman. These young girls will sometimes come in with hemoglobin levels 3, 4, 5, extremely, extremely low to the point of almost dying. And so I say all this to say, to know how pale and haggard these young girls are when they come into the hospital, to think for 12 years, can we behold this woman who for 12 years has been hemorrhaging and how lonely those past 12 years would have been for her psychologically but how terrible this would have been for her physically as well, right? Psychologically, she knows everyone's pointing and knowing she's unclean because of her blood-stained clothes and they avoid her and they walk away from her. Maybe they even point at her or jeer at her and make fun because they, they don't want to be anywhere near her and have that uncleanness fall onto them. And physically, because of all the blood loss, maybe she was even hungry, starving, because she can't even buy food without a source of money. And how is she going to get a source of money as a woman in those days without having the ability to sell her body in those moments? And, and Mark and Luke tell us that she had even more difficulties because of the medical treatments, quote-unquote, that she had received. Right? Mark 5.26 tells us, And who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. Or Luke 8, 43 says, And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. 
Remember, this is not physicians like physicians of today, right? They're, they're not going, she's not going to end up in an urgent care or an ER. They didn't have anything like that back then. They didn't really know much at all medically. In fact, many times doctors would just treat medical ailments as like imbalances in the body. So maybe they would have tried to give her some plant products or something that would give her diarrhea because they would think that that would flush out the problem. This was a medical treatment that people would use, but that would have just further dehydrated her. Or maybe they would have tried to attach leeches or do some other type of bloodletting in order to treat the blood loss. They would try to bloodlet further. In fact, this is how George Washington died. I may have shared this with you guys before, but the, the father of this country had a throat infection. And they didn't know how to treat throat infections back then, so they just bloodlet him. And the doctors killed him from the bloodletting. Of course, that doesn't always end up in the history textbooks, but that is exactly what happened. He didn't die on the battlefield or any kind of assassination attempt. He was killed by the doctors. And if you can imagine, if that's how bad doctors were in the 1700s with George Washington, can you imagine how bad they were during Jesus' time on earth? And they were contributing to the worsening of this woman's condition. And Mark and Luke, they tell us that that not only was she hemorrhaging blood, but the doctors had figuratively hemorrhaged all her money as well. Now that hasn't changed. Um, <laughs> well, well, she got worse and worse. I'm a doctor, I can say these things. Okay, so I ask us this tonight. Can, can we, in the, experiencing all of this, are we beholding this woman who is going through all of this and feeling her desperation as she reaches out her hand to Jesus? Can we see why she comes up from behind because she is so wants to be so hidden in the crowd, ashamed of who she is and ashamed to be seen. And can you sense this faith that she has as she recognizes that the only way that she will ever be made fully well in this life stands in the person of Jesus. So let's see what she does. Matthew 9, 20 to 21, it says, And behold, a woman who had suffered a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, If I only touch his garment, I will be made well. Mark 5, 27 and 28 says that she had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment, for she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. Matthew tells us here, right, that she touches the fringe of his garment. It's this word, kraspadu, kraspadu, which means tassel, okay? So the Jewish men of that time would wear clothing that would have tassels that would hang off, these kraspadu, and uh, on their outer garments and would remind them of the law, the tassels that they would hang off would remind them of the Jewish Old Testament law. It says in Numbers 15, 37 to 41, The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the people of Israel and tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations and to put a cord of blue on the tassel of each corner. And it shall be a tassel for you to look at and remember all the commandments of the Lord's to do them, not to follow after your own heart and your own eyes, which you are inclined to whore after. So you shall remember and do all my commandments and be holy to your God. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the, land, I'm the Lord your God. So don't miss this tonight, brothers. This, these tassels that Jesus was wearing represented the law. And that law included Leviticus 15, which we've looked at today, which clearly states that this woman is unclean. But yet, these are the very tassels that the woman reaches out to touch on Jesus. Because in faith, she recognized that Jesus was the fulfillment of the law, of all the law. It says in Matthew 5:17, Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So what does fulfillment of the law 
look like? What do these tassels represent when it's Jesus the one wearing them? It doesn't look like pharisaical judgment put on display like we see in John 8 where the woman's being stoned, right? All those men are, are saying, oh, she's a sinner, she's a sinner, judgment in the law. That, it doesn't look like that when it's Jesus wearing the tassels. And it doesn't look like the judgment of this woman that she's been feeling over the last 12 years of her life. No. The fulfillment of the law looks like Jesus. And that looks like a love that transcends any written down clean or unclean codes of Leviticus. It's a perfect love that doesn't become unclean when touched by a leper or a demon-possessed person or a sinful woman or a woman who's unclean and hemorrhaging. It doesn't become unclean. It's a love that purifies and immediately makes the unclean become clean. Praise God. You see, this woman knew that her healing physically and spiritually could come only from Jesus. And the tassels of Jesus she knew did not represent the judgment of the law, but the freedom that comes through Christ's love. So I think the message in this for all of us is this, that regardless of your past issues that led to your label, perhaps, as a modern kind of unclean person, maybe your alcohol abuse, Maybe drug abuse, maybe the profane language that comes out of your, of your mouth, maybe the pornography that you've looked at, maybe the anger that you've shown towards others, maybe uh, contributing perhaps in your past to an abortion, maybe um, uh, it's, it's, it's homosexuality in yourself or a loved one that you have even judged perhaps. I don't know, but all I know is that the love of Christ, it sets us free from the yoke of the law that we, all of us in this place, can reach out to Jesus and know that we are reaching out to the fulfillment of the law. And, it, and, and all of this shows us that the law, it no longer condemns us. It no longer tells us we're unclean because when we reach out to the fulfillment of the law, we become clean. He has set us free from the bondage that comes through the law. And in His love and through His sacrifice, we are set free to live. To live as new creations. In faith, when we reach out to Him and we just get a touch from Jesus, just a touch, it gives us a whole new identity and a brand new start. It's a holy resurrection, right? We were looking at all last week in the, in the Holy Week about the resurrection of Jesus, but He offers us that resurrection, right? Jesus says, I am the resurrection. That means anyone who touches Him, anyone who grips on, holds on to Jesus is resurrected right now from that one who is the resurrection and the life. Amen? Amen? Amen. So let's look and see what the love of God looks like for this previously unclean woman. And it's Matthew 9, 22. And it says, Jesus turned and seeing her, he said, Take heart, daughter. Your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. Or Mark 5, 29 to 34, it says, Immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Luke says it this way, and I underlined some parts that were unique to Luke here in Luke 8, 45 to 48. It says, And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? And when all denied it, Peter said, 
Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone, who touched, someone touch me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had immediately been healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. So as we've seen before over the last several weeks, Matthew seems to take a direct route in his account of these events, right? He says, the woman touched Jesus, who turns around and commends her faith. And that's, you know, like the Reader's Digest brief version of it. But Mark and Luke give us such vivid details of this event. And when we put all three of these Gospels together, we see that Jesus felt her touch. Jesus felt power go out from him into her. And apparently Jesus, what this means is that Jesus could physically feel healing power when it left his body, which I think is amazing, right? Even though there's a crowd of people with a gazillion needs all around him, pressing in on him, he could tell that an individual person had reached out to him in faith. Now, some of us go to some very large churches, right? And there can be times in a church service where we're looking around and we're like, oh my gosh, there are so many people here. There's no way that the Lord would even hear if I reached out to him in prayer. But that's just not true. God can hear each and every individual prayer, even in a crowd such as that. And it's not only Jesus who recognizes the power leaving his body, but this woman, just a touch from Jesus, feels that power bring immediate healing into her. Twelve years of physical and mental and spiritual anguish, and it's all wiped away with just a touch from Jesus. Her spiritual anguish, yes, as well, because you see this word for made well, the word is sozo, which is actually translated as saved or salvation. The salvation of her soul, this woman was seeking not only the physical healing of her body, but the salvation of her soul and Jesus as a touch from Jesus brings her all of that. You see, I told you earlier about the hospital admissions that I see with the young girls who are dealing with that prolonged menstrual bleeding, and we give them typically medications to stop that bleeding, and we also will often, especially when their blood count gets really low, we'll give them a blood transfusion. I'm telling you, it's one of the most satisfying things in all of medicine is when you see somebody who is terribly anemic from whatever blood loss, and you give them a transfusion, and within hours, their energy is back. Their body, their, their skin becomes pink. All that haggardness and fatigue and everything wiped away in hours of a blood transfusion. It's the really, it's the true, real manifestation of the power of blood, just in general, right? There's a reason why we get these images when Jesus says he shed his blood for us and his, his blood goes in to us. We sing these songs about the power of the blood of Jesus because it's more than just physical power. There's eternal spiritual power in the divine blood transfusion that we get when we come to him for salvation. We exchange our sinful blood for his perfect, sinless blood. And on this day, when this woman reached out to Jesus and she received physical healing and she received spiritual healing, it came from that blood transfusion from Jesus. So you might be asking yourself tonight, right? I've been reaching out to Jesus for many years for this issue, whatever this issue was that you brought up into prayer to the Lord earlier when we started for this issue. And I have not received an immediate healing. And maybe someone you've met along the way has even convinced you that you're doing it wrong. Whatever that means, I don't even know, but you're doing it wrong. You don't have enough faith, or you're praying with the wrong words, or you're not speaking the words loud enough, and you're not using enough conviction in the way that you say it. And I just want to set the record straight here. When did Jesus 
who is the perfect manifestation of God. When did Jesus ever reach out, ever say to someone who's reaching out to him, like this woman, reaching out to him for healing, say, you're reaching out wrong. I can't hear you. My hearing aids are off. You've got to speak louder. You're not using the right words when you pray. When does Jesus ever say that? Never. Instead, what he says to us is this. He says, Matthew 7, he says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For, whoever, for everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? So when you are praying for something that's in God's will, His answer to you is always yes and amen. And listen to this, healing from the enemy's attack, healing from the enemy's attack, whatever that attack looks like in your life, healing from the enemy's attack is always God's will. It's always God's will. Now I know, I know that what I'm saying, some of you might be thinking, well, I don't get, I don't do, I don't get this. I don't get the, I don't receive what I want. I ask, I seek, I knock. But God's not answering me the way I expect. And all I have to say to you is this. God's answer is not always in our time frame. It's not. Right? Several of us were here, I don't know, a few weeks ago now. And we were all standing in the corner over there. And, and Jay had brought a fish, fishing line out. And, and at the end of that fishing line was this little tiny piece. And then the rest of it stretched out, I don't know, 100, 200 feet around in a circle. And what, he, what, he, what it illustrated to us was that this is our life. Okay? But our eternity is like all of the rest. And even that doesn't encompass eternity, obviously. But it's, it's the idea that what we are living right now, this last half inch or so, that's our life on earth. And sometimes, praise God, the Lord immediately answers our prayer in that half inch that we call life. And praise God for that. I've experienced that in my life, and I know several of the men in here have as well. But sometimes the Lord will answer our prayer in the eternity ahead. And I don't know, I can tell you this, whatever evil and harmful thing that the enemy has brought into your life, it doesn't accompany you into heaven. It all ends up in the pit of hell. With the enemy, when the Lord returns, all of that is destroyed when he comes back and eternity begins for us. There will be no cancer, no heart attacks, no strokes in heaven. Hallelujah. Children are not going to have incurable diseases in heaven. Praise the Lord. There's not going to be any drug addiction or alcohol addiction or pornography or any of that stuff in heaven. It doesn't have a place there. Hallelujah. There won't be any school shootings or raping or murdering or political elections. Praise God. Uh, none of that will ever exist in heaven. It's all gone. Because we know that when Jesus comes and heaven comes down to earth, all of what the enemy has brought upon us is gone. But what do we do in the meantime? In the meantime, while we live on that half inch, we keep on asking, and we keep on seeking, and we keep on knocking, and we keep on being persistent in our prayer that the Lord would bring those pieces of heaven to earth now through the miracles that He does. And while I still have breath, I will never, ever stop praying for the complete healing of my precious daughter on this side of eternity. But when He does the miraculous in our lives, we need to do what this woman does in the story. We need to do what the, the nine lepers did when they come back, right? Because we need to let others know 
what it is that God has done. Jesus, in that moment, notice in the Mark version, he calls her out of the crowd. She can no longer have a hidden existence. She is no longer the woman with the issue of bleeding in that moment anymore. She is now a fully healed, fully changed, eternally saved child of the Most High God. And she can't be hidden anymore. And what is her response? She turns to the Lord. She thanks Him for the healing. And then she starts to tell everybody there around her exactly what it is that God has done. She doesn't know exactly how it happened. All she knows is I was unclean and bleeding just a second ago and I'm not anymore. And it's all because of Him. That's exactly what we need to be doing. So maybe in your own life you can think that there's something clearly that you have been healed from. Something you used to do. You used to have an addiction. You used to have a medical issue. You used to have a relational issue. But it's no longer there. So I say to you, behold this woman and follow her lead and thank the Lord. You might think, bah, it was just time, Kishore. It was just time, right? I, time is what brought that healing. Uh, you know, it was, it, was the, it was the medicine that I, that I got. It, it was the doctor that I went to. Finally, I went to a doctor that knew what they were doing. Let me just tell you something, brothers. I need you to hear me on this. As a doctor, I'm going to tell you this. The Lord created time. The Lord created time. And the Lord created the mind and many of, many, most often the plants that were used to make the medicine that was used in your healing. The Lord formed the brain of even the most accomplished doctor, formed the brain of that doctor while he was just a little itty-bitty inside of his mother's womb. All of these things are provided by the Lord to bring the healing that He's going to bring in our lives. So we must, in those moments of healing, turn and tell everyone what He has done. Loudly proclaim it, Lord, I praise you that you have healed me from depression. Lord, I praise you that you have healed me from alcoholism. Lord, I praise you that I had lower back pain from a slipped disc, that God, I don't have that pain anymore, that I can walk up here in front of these men and jump if I had a better knee. But it's coming. Uh, I, could, I could do all these things because Christ has healed me. Amen? And some of you might say, but wait a minute, Kishore, I've never experienced a miraculous healing like you're talking about. I, I, I'm still struggling with these things, and I can tell you you're wrong. How do I know that you're wrong? I can tell you that you haven't told your heart to beat once today. <laughs> Is your heart beating? Are you alive? I hope so. <laughs> Praise God. I, I, I don't know if you played gatekeeper today to all the electric signals that have been going down the 45 miles of nerves in your body that when you tell your pinky toe to wiggle right now, when it wiggles, it just transverse about six feet instantaneously because your brain just told it to. Did you set up that network? Did you send those signals down to the toe? No, praise God. Did you guide these white blood cells, these infection-fighting cells in your body? 60,000 viruses and bacteria have attacked you in one day. Did you tell your white blood cells how to go and fight them off? Did you tell that, that army within you that does that every single day, that keeps you alive every day? You didn't. Say hallelujah. This is the things that God does that we just take for granted, brothers. That every moment of every day there are so many things that are going on in our body and outside that is coming from the Lord. And He's saying, look at me. Did you make that sun to rise? Did you make this, to these trees to, to sprout leaves? Did you do any of that? You didn't do any of it. These are all miracles that the Lord is providing for you. So it all starts with faith in the healer. And I ask you the tough question, do you believe that He can do the impossible? And not just the by and by one day He'll do the impossible, but do you believe He can do the impossible even today? 
right now, right? This woman waited 12 years with her, for her healing and lots and lots of unanswered prayers up to that point, I'm sure, for her. But it never would have happened for her on that day when she reached out in faith. If she just decided to stand back at home and be like, I'm unclean, and didn't do anything about it, didn't reach out to her Lord, she would not have been healed. It was faith in Jesus, not the law represented by his tassels that healed her. And you can sit back and you can verse by verse memorize all of these healing miracles that we find in Matthew 8 and Matthew 9, but it's all worthless if you don't have faith that God can do that for you in your life today. I don't know, I feel God's presence with us here tonight, and I know that He immediately wants to heal people today from fear, from anxiety, from depression. He wants to immediately heal people from addictions to alcohol, to drugs, to pornography, to lust. He wants to immediately heal some people of medical conditions that the doctors can't seem to find a cure for because that is the kind of God that He is. And He wants to come alongside for many of us and give us peace to let us know that, hey, I know that you've been waiting for so long, but I've got this situation. Keep reaching out to me. I've got this situation in my mighty hands. And you know what he does in those moments when I don't see those miraculous healings? And this is something that my mind had to wrap itself around all those years ago when I was like, I'm going to pray just like God healed me from this, this, and this. He's going to heal my daughter. You know what I had to re remind myself? Is that every time I reach out to God in prayer, he reaches back down with peace with an understanding that even though he may not bring that healing in that moment, he's still going to give me something. He's going to be peace. He's going to give me a perfect timing to know that I can trust him, that he is going to do something greater than I can imagine to bring healing to my daughter. And the same thing I say to all of you. I said, don't ever stop reaching, seeking, asking, knocking, persisting in prayer because when we do that, we're just giving the enemy a stronghold being like, I'm not going to just reach out to Jesus anymore. I'm done with that. No, no, no. Faith is continually reaching out. I'm never going to try to direct God into what He's going to do, but I do know this, that we have to take, we have to take the first step. We have to have the faith like this woman tonight. We have to reach out to the Lord, to the healer, that no matter how many times we've done that before, or how it makes us look to others that we just keep going up for healing, just a touch from Jesus changes everything. Everything. So I say, and I conclude with this tonight, I want you guys to know that my heart, I've been preparing all week as I've been putting these words down, my heart feels so full of the Lord's love for each and every man in this place. And if there's anything that you have been praying for forever, or even haven't ever prayed for before, and you want prayer for healing tonight, come and find me. I want to pray with you at any moment. I don't know what the guys are going to do afterwards, but I just want you to know that I'm here, and I know that the Lord is coming. And it's not my touch that's going to bring healing into your hearts. It's the Lord. Praise God. Chances are, you probably don't have the same medical issues as the woman in the story. But have you ever felt alone or ostracized from the people around you? Perhaps you've been struggling with your marriage, your purity, addiction, or your faith. The woman from the story had the faith to trust that even touching the hem of Jesus' clothes could heal a 12-year illness. How much more can Jesus change in our lives when we invite him into our hearts? Kishore said that faith is continually reaching out to God. So I encourage you, and I'm saying this to myself as well, continually reach out to God. That's going to be it for this episode of Pops, but we encourage you to hit the subscribe button and share this episode with some friends or family. Thanks for tuning in, and as always, God bless.